going on in the world? If you're like me, you like to read the news and see what's going on in the world. Often in the morning at work, just before shift exchange, I turn on the TV and I say, let's see what happened in the world overnight. Yet it seems every time you turn on your TV or read, you only hear bad news. You hear all the wars going on, Russia invading Ukraine, Hamas attacking Israel. Even the Palestinians all over the world protesting in favor of what Hamas did. It's easy to wonder, what in the world is going on? But not just in the distant world, even closer to home. In your own life, everything seems to be so hard these days. Schooling is overwhelming. It's not just the workload, but the pressure to conform is getting stronger and stronger. All your friends are into partying, drinking, smoking. You feel left out because you don't participate. You feel alone and rejected when you must turn down an invite. As well, as soon as you walk into school, you're bombarded with rainbow flags all over the walls. Bright days and days of inclusion are happening more, happening more often now. Kids have to learn about evolution and creation being left out. Parents need to be on guard to teach the kids the truths at home. Universities are pushing same-sex norms of gender neutrality. They're becoming woke cockpits. They have lost their moral compass altogether, training our future generation to be liberal inclusionists. They're pushing their, their ideology towards censorship. You're no longer allowed to speak what you believe. No longer are they teaching critical thinking and seeking the truth, but rather raising a nation to follow along and to be more inclusive. The name of Christ is being removed, frowned upon even if mentioned. What about your work? In a neighboring province, religious symbols are not allowed in the workplace anymore, all because someone might be offended. The pressure to conform is growing by the day. Political correctness, inclusivity, gender equality are common and celebrated terms these days. Filthy language has a common place at the table. Dirty, disgusting speech and crude choking is laughed upon, cheered on, and even encouraged. Even so, Christian bosses are not leading according to the word, but are allowing the world to rule the workplace. The name of Christ is better left out if you want to conceive, receive funding or encourage customers. It's become, so, it's become hard for you to go to work because you know it will be a struggle to be a light in this dark world, to stand for Christ and to live for Him. What about your marriage and family life? Does it seem a struggle to live according to God's ordained order? Is it a struggle to love and to obey, to treat others as more important than yourself? So many marriages falter because of the selfishness and the pride in their own hearts. What about what I deserve, we say? It is no wonder that a large percentage of Christian marriages end in divorce. Or perhaps you feel overwhelmed by the constant battle of sin, sin in your own life. You feel like it's a losing battle. You get up in the morning with the intent to live for Christ today and don't even make it till breakfast without a selfish or prideful thought. You intend to break that sin that has been troubling you for the past few months, yet here again it rears its ugly head and you give in to temptation. Life in general seems to overwhelm us at every step we take. Every moment seems to struggle. We feel like we just don't know what to do or where to go. 
We're just simply overwhelmed by everything around us. Well, in our passage today, we see how Solomon must have felt and how David encouraged him and gave him some, gave him some, gave him some rules to live by to succeed in his life of struggle. So please turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 2, and we'll be reading verses 1 and 4. 1 Kings chapter 2, and I'll ask you to stand with me as we read God's word. So 1 Kings chapter 2, reading verses 1 to 4. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon and his son, saying, I am I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. That the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Please be seated. So here in this passage, we see King David is about to die. He has come to the end of his life. As we read, when David's time to die drew near. Having, after having lived a life full of ups and downs, a life of wars and conquering nations, a life of fleeing from Saul yet growing in favor of the nation Israel, a life of walking with the Lord and a life of falling into sin, he knows it is now time to pass on his way to a new successor. However, we read in the foregoing chapter that before he is able to do so, at a night job, his fourth son has been working hard on taking the throne by his own power. However, by the quick thinking of Nathan, a prophet, he and Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, approached David to warn him about what Adonijah was doing. So laying on his deathbed, David promises Bathsheba that Solomon will be the rightful heir to the throne. And he will see to it that no other will take the throne from him. Now David is here simply following what the Lord ordained before in 1 Chronicles 22, where it says, Behold, a son shall be born to you, who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all the surrounding enemies, for his name shall be Solomon, and I will give him peace and quiet in his days. So again, and again, in the foregoing chapter, then we see how, how King David sets the anointing of Solomon into place, and he becoming the successor to the kingly throne. Yet he also knows that Solomon is very young and experienced. We don't know the exact age of Solomon at the time of his anointing to kingship. However, based on historical records, scholars estimate his age to be around 20 to 22 years old when he ascended the throne. Now, that is a very young age to be called to sit on the throne and rule an entire nation. And not just any nation. The nation chosen by the Almighty God. The nation brought out of Egypt, previously led by Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, and Moses, and Aaron. These were mighty men, handpicked by God himself. And here now, this lowly boy, merely 20 years old, is tasked with the same charge, called upon to lead and instruct and walk ahead of his people, leading them in the fear of the Lord. You see, to be a king meant to be carefully observe the law and teach it to the people, to defend the nation and engage in offensive war if necessary, and to rule the people with justice and in full righteousness. Now just imagine the immense pressure he must have felt 
No doubt Solomon must, must have an intense feeling of, of being overwhelmed by all this. That feeling of being overwhelmed can often stop us in our tracks. Make us feel like we want to go hide and cower in a corner somewhere, throw in a towel, and contemplate just plain giving up. When life hits us, from, hits us hard from every side, nothing makes sense anymore. We ask ourselves, what's going on? How can I keep going like this? It's in those times when we long for, for a wise word, a word of comfort, a word of encouragement from a friend or a family member, someone we trust to calm our hearts. David, being that wise father, sees what Solomon is experiencing, and here now in our passage gives him some wise instructions on how to navigate this next part of his young life. He's quick to give words of encouragement and comfort, and what a timely response to the overwhelming time in his beloved son. David surely had his own life in mind when he spoke his next words. He draws from his own life experience. He too was young once and inexperienced. The Bible gives us a good look into David's young life, right from the point where God chose him to be a rightful king for his people. We see how he stood between his father's sheep and the bears of the lions. Without a thought, he fought for the lowly sheep, putting his own life at risk. How he was mocked when wanting to take on Goliath. They said, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth, they said. How he was chased by Saul and ran for his life. Even the sin he committed with Bathsheba left a lasting impression on David. Yet remembering from a close walk with God, he managed to move on on each new day. How he was encouraged and guided by following the Lord's commands. So here now he gives his fatherly instructions for life, some important and wise rules to live by, David had directions to draw encouragement from, and directions to follow to prosper in his life that he has been chosen for. So here in his verses we see three points I would like to draw out and investigate a bit more. First we will look at what David meant by be strong and show yourself a man. Then second, what is meant by obeying statutes, commands, rules and testimonies. And thirdly, the promises of blessings given for living a life of courage and obedience. So the first instruction we see David giving his son is to be strong. He says, be strong and show yourself a man. Now generally these words are used to encourage men when they are about to face a fierce battle. Interestingly enough, we see this exact same language being used in 1 Samuel chapter 4, where the Philistines are about to be attacked by Israel. They heard cheering and excitement in the Israel nation when the Ark of Covenant entered the camp. The Israelites were excited and thought this would, this would surely bring them victory. It says, And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Imagine hearing this exciting shouting from your enemies. This absolutely brought fear to the Philistines. Yet they muster up enough strength to encourage one another on and say, be strong and conduct yourselves like many Philistines. They do not become servants to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. And they did. They gained courage. They conducted conduct themselves like men during this overwhelming time and actually defeated the Israelites. And so similarly, Solomon here is about to face an almost impossible task. Leading a nation at his young age with no small feet. Nonetheless, leading God's chosen people, leading them in the way of the Lord, teaching them the fear of the Lord. 
judging them righteously, being an example for them to follow, protecting them from all sorts of enemies all around them. Since Solomon was so young at this point, he would have to prove himself. Many attacks would come where he would be challenged on. Where others would try to go against his rule, they would challenge his authority. And this would take a man of strength, a man of knowledge, a man of wisdom, and a man firm in his walk. So first of all, we, he would have to be strong and not to worry and fear. Generally, when attacks come, our, our first response is to worry and be afraid. And rightly so, we are humans that have a fear response built into us. We see the troubles all around us, and we fall into this trap of being afraid. According to the advice that his father David is giving him, we see that Solomon needed encouragement not to fear. Why else would he say, be strong? Be strong and put the weakness in yourself behind you. Overcome the fear and fight the sense of worry. The Bible is clear in how to deal with worry when it comes on us. It says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? And also, there, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. The world may seem overwhelming to us, all we face daily, all around us. But can worry really do anything to fix the problems? Why do we worry so much? Why do we give in to this, this sin so easily? It has to do with the fact that we try to take on the situation ourselves. What the, we, we try to fix the problems by our own strength, yet quickly realize our inability to do so. When we face tough battles in our lives, we must look to the Lord, for He is sovereign. He has ordained everything in our lives to come to pass. He knows the situations we are facing, and is able to guide us and get us through them. Instead of looking to, problem, looking to solve the problems yourselves, give it to the Lord. Work hard at it, but trust in the Lord. For it says we can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. And secondly, he would have to be strong and prove himself a man to stand against the attacks that will come against you. And they will come. Solomon would have to face, an, about to face an immense number of attacks uh, from without and within. Not just the nations raging against the people of God, attacking them and trying to make them slaves and take the lands as possession, but also the attacks from within. The ones wanting to take his place and rightly own kingship, even his own family. His brother Anijah, David's fourth son, as we heard before, had already done so in the foregoing chapter by proclaiming himself king, without the blessing of the current king. Adonijah had amassed himself an army, and against prophecy and his father's will, he pronounced himself king over Israel, as we saw earlier. Once again, David speaks from his own experiences. He was attacked from all around him at his young age, and these attacks could have made him run in fear, but he proved himself strong and proved himself a man. And so it will be with us. We have to be ready when attacks come our ways. And they will come. They will make us feel like we're powerless. When the world all around us seems in chaos, when everything seems against us, the agendas of the world are being pushed on us, friends at school will mock us for being Christians, co-workers will ignore us because we stand for Christ. Even family members want nothing to do with us because we seek to follow Christ. Stand firmly, my friends. 
Be strong and show yourself men, men and women of courage. Be ever watchful to see these attacks coming before they are even at the door. Like the deer gate grazing at the edge of the forest, the fawn leaping around from brush to brush without, without a care in the world, enjoying the morning warmth of the sun, yet its mother ever watchful, grazing even while keeping its eyes open, ears pointed, and ready to run in an instant when danger comes on. And so too we have to be ready to flee or fight at a moment's notice. Be prepared, be strong, be ready to act when those moments come. But these are attacks that are not even the worst of it. It's the internal attacks that we need to worry about. I'm talking about the sins that flow from the heart. The ones that come from deep within our desires. The lust of the flesh, the desires of the heart, our own evil cravings. Jealous, childish behavior, and angry thoughts. We don't even eat. We often don't even realize they destroy a little at a time. Those attacks we have to watch out for. David himself had to learn that the hard way when he sinned with Bathsheba. He gave in to his deep desires and his turn, his family self-accord. Maybe some evil desires I have to worry about. But what about the pride you struggle with? You think yourself a good person. I'm really not that bad, you say, especially when you compare yourself to others. Or, or, or you, or you, the pride, or the pride that you, uh, the pridefulness about what you have accomplished. Look what I did, or what I have done on my own. Don't you realize all your abilities and gifts are gifts from God? Without His blessing, you would be nothing. Pride is always a danger in our souls. The Pharisees prided themselves in how theologically advanced they were. They could recite scripture and explain deep truths of the Bible and therefore thought they must be better than the rest. Yet their hearts were full of sin. Our Lord called them whitewashed walls. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Watch out for those sins. Those are the sins that can destroy us. That can destroy your soul. Those are the attacks David is now warning Solomon about. Don't become prideful. He would have lots of reason to be arrogant. And unfortunately, we see that in many of the kings that were to follow after Solomon would pass on. And thirdly, he would have to be strong to prove himself a man in how he would lead the nation. Leading a nation in the way of the Lord is no easy task. David knew this full well. He did it for the past 40 years. If anyone knew the hard task of Solomon, King David would understand. To lead the people, he would have to show some important qualities any leader must show. He had to show incredible patience. Not everything will go according to Solomon's timeline. Just look at how long it took David to become king. After he initially was anointed by Samuel as a young boy. It was not until he turned 30 he finally became became king of Judah, and another seven years until king of all Israel. Even though he had, he had the great promise of kingship from a very young age, following God does not mean everything will fall into your lap immediately. You will take patience and full trust that God is in complete control at all times in your life, regardless of how long you need to wait for an answer, or a request you've made, or healing you've asked for. Patience teaches us to trust in God, trust in His timing, and, tru and trust that will provide an answer at the perfect time 
and according to his sovereign will. David had a good grasp on patience. We can hear that when we pen this psalm, Psalm 27. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. To be a leader, he needs to show humility. David came from a humble background. He grew up tending sheep, possibly one of the lowliest jobs at the time. When the older brothers went off to fight, fight the war, fight, to fight for the nation, he was told to stand behind and tend his father's sheep. Just think for a moment. He was already anointed king and told. He was already anointed and told he will be king one day. Yet he humbly stayed behind and tended the sheep. Rather than go and fight with his brothers, he was told to serve them and bring them food. When called to the palace, he would serve King Saul rather than demand his throne. Though called to be a king, he knew he was a servant to God. Just that thought kept him humble. And that is exactly what we need to be reminded of daily. Though we, though we may have a position and authority in our lives, we still are the Lord's servant. We are still called to serve Him with all our abilities, whether that be in our homes, in our families, in church, in our jobs. And this is our calling to remain humble and serve the King. And lastly, to be an effective leader, He needs to show courage. I don't think we need to go into the story of David and Goliath. We all know the courage David showed by facing this giant warrior of a man. To be in a position, whether leadership or not, we need courage. Courage to stand for our beliefs when challenged on it. Courage to fight for the truth when questioned about it. If God is for me, who can be against me? This courage comes from the only source worth trusting in. God is our foundation to stand on. Friends, we all have positions in our lives where we are called to show godly leadership. Fathers. We are called to stand for the word and make it a priority in our own lives and in our family's lives. Fight for your children. Pray for them. Plead for their salvation. You know this life is short and the only thing that matters is a life lived for God. Mothers, don't waste your time on worthless things. Read scriptures to your little ones. Show them what a daughter Show your daughters what a Proverbs 31 woman looks like. How she conducts herself in the home and out of the home. Leave an everlasting impression on your little ones. You younger ones, young men, young women. Be, a, be aware of how you present yourself to your friend. Whether you like it or not, you will leave an impression on them. You don't think you're a leader, but you don't realize just how much they look up to a person they can trust and count on in times. In times of need. A pure and righteous heart is an effective trait most will look up to. Present yourself pure and modest. Lead by how you act. Your life is the best witness you have. So be strong and draw courage from the one that is able to provide. Now the second instruction given is to keep the Lord's command. And it says, And keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in His ways, in keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses. Now David here encourages his son to walk in the commandments of the Lord, to walk in the ways of the Lord, to observe his laws and rules for life. We can read how David did so in his life, and how, he called, how the Lord called him a man after his own heart. 
And now David wants nothing more than for his son to be called a good man and faithful servant to the Lord, by the Lord himself. But what does keeping his, command, his commands look like? What does he mean by this? Well, first and foremost, to do so is to fear the Lord. Deuteronomy 8, 6 tells us, so you, shall, so you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in His ways and by fearing Him. Now, we hear His words, fear the Lord, often. But what exactly do they mean? Well, to the unbeliever, the fear of the Lord means judgment and eternal death. Romans 1.18 is very clear in this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The ones that don't believe in the Lord will have to, and even now are experiencing the wrath of God, and there's no escaping from it. Ungodliness must be answered for, and punishment is the result. But to the believer, on the other hand, it means to have a holy reverence and respect for God. Proverbs puts it this way, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. To grow in wisdom and in faith is first and foremost to have a reverent respect for the Lord. Knowing deep down in your heart how majestic God is. He created the universe. He formed and fashioned everything you see. Every breath you take is given by Him alone. David had great fear and respect for the majesty of the Lord. For he writes in Psalm 96, For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all nations. And to understand the great... To understand the understanding of the greatness and majesty of the Lord will bring a holy, reverent fear, a respect and admir admiration that flows from the heart, from deep within. When you contemplate the greatness and sovereignty of God, you can do nothing but stand in awe and reverence before a mighty king. But the fear of the Lord also means to know how much God hates sin. God is holy, just, and righteous. He can have no part with sin. He absolutely abhors it and must punish the ones living in it. He can have no part with sin, and therefore we as believers must flee from what God hates so much. We must strive to become like Him and foster a hatred, a hatred towards sin ourselves. And this is what it truly means to fear the Lord. And secondly, to keep His commandments is to love the Lord. The Matthew read, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God, your God, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Solomon is advised to have a deep-rooted love for God that comes from within his heart, soul, and mind. He must have a love that flows from within. It ought to become his lifestyle. It must be who he is rather than what he does. You see, to love the Lord is about an internal obedience. Not simply the act, to act in ways that pleases the Lord, but to have an entrenched love that flows from within and then expresses itself in the way you act and live your life. How you love your spouse. How you teach scripture to your children. How you desire to read His Word. How you long to meet fellow believers and look forward to gathering on the Lord's Day. When you wake up in the morning, you get into His Word and long to hear Him speak to you. You pray and communicate with God continually throughout the day. These are all practical ways you can love the Lord and so keep His commandments. And, and now, Israel, what does the Lord, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways.
things to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. You see, the, you see, love and obedience go together. You cannot have one apart from the other. When you love someone deeply, you automatically want to obey and please them, and to obey them shows that you love them. One more practical way we can show love and obedience to God is shown in 1 Peter 1.14, where it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. To love the Lord and therefore obey means to mortify sin in your life. To put, put away with your former self. Flee from sin that so ensnared us in the past. We have to be free from the bond and therefore are not bound by our evil desires and passions anymore. In Christ, we have been given a new heart that is now capable to obey Him and worship Him. What a blessing that is. What a gift of grace. So, what about you? Do you love the Lord? Don't answer that right away. But think about it. Think how you spend your time and your effort. Your free time. Is it spent desiring to know Christ more and become more like Him? Or are you drawn more to the world and what He has to offer? Are you obeying His commands by walking in faith with Him daily? If so, then that brings us to our third point. The blessings received for trusting the Lord and obediently walking with Him. The blessings received for trusting the Lord and obediently walking with Him. So far we've seen encouragement and direction in godly living. And now here David promises his son blessings. If he walks in the way of the Lord, if he obeys His commands, if he would just do as called to do by the Almighty God, then, in verse 3 you read, that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you turn. The Lord will look on you favorably, David tells him, if you would just walk in his ways and obey his commands. For your kids here today, your parents have rules. They have certain restrictions set in place to teach your manners, to keep you out of harm, to teach, teach you to respect others, to show you God's word and how to live by it. These rules are not simply rules put in place to be mean or to hinder you. They are set in place for you for your own good, for your future blessing, for your respectful, godly, young habits. Able to flourish and raise God, young God-fearing children yourselves one day. This promise of blessing for an obedient walk is found all throughout Scripture. It's a promise given again and again for the ones that would just obey, obey the Lord and follow His commands. So what exactly are these promised blessings? Well, Deuteronomy 28 gives us such a list of physical blessings, physical practical blessings, we are promised to obey. We are promised for obeying the voice of God. We read, And if you faithfully obey the voice of your Lord your God, being careful to do all His commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. Also says, Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and your young flock. Blessed shall be your baskets, and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies to rise against you, to be defeated before you. The Lord will command the blessings on you, in your barns, and in all that you undertake, and he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. 
And he goes on. says, The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself. And all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will make your bounty prosperity in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your livestock, and in the fruit of your ground. So you see all these blessings, that physical blessings that He's promising you. The Lord will open, you, open to you His good treasury, the heavens, to give rain to your land and its season, and to bless the work of your hands. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. And you shall only go up and not go and not down. And here's the key. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, being careful to, careful to do them, and if you do not turn from any of the words that I command you today, to the right hand or to the left, to go after other gods uh, to serve them. You can hear the Lord pleading with them. He's pleading with you. Just obey His commands. Like a godly father pleads with his children. Just listen to His words. He longs to bless you. He desires to protect you. He wants to provide all you need to succeed. He wants nothing more than for you to live in peace, prosperity, and be blessed by the bounty He has to offer you. So why are we so inclined to follow our own ways? Especially as men, we have such a drive to do things our own ways. To be the master of our own lives. Let this be known, if you don't obey God's commands, you are obeying Satan. There's no in between. Either we follow the directives God gives us for a prosperous and blessed life, or we follow our own evil, evil desires laden with sin that leads to heartache, sickness, and death. We struggle toward, we struggle through life with blessings withheld because of our own evil desires and disobedience. Please don't let that be the case. Humble yourselves, ask for forgiveness, and obey the holy word of the Lord. And see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down. For you an overflowing blessing as you read. Now this may sound a lot like the prosperity gospel so many churches are teaching today. And sadly, so many people fall into this trap of, if I do this, then the Lord will do that. If I go to church this Sunday, if I hold my tongue and read the Bible daily, then the Lord will be, there will be blessings. James 4 3 tells us, You ask and do not receive, because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your own pleasures. See, here's the problem. If you obey His commands and His laws only to receive a blessing, then you've missed the mark. If you're only doing what is right in the sight of the Lord, because you know He's the source of all blessing, then you are not obeying God for the right reason. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear, Psalm 66. One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Proverbs 28. There will be no blessing if you only obey for the sake of receiving such. But rather, obey his commands because of his greatness. Be in awe of the majesty of the Lord. Have a deep reverence for his splendor. If you want to obey and please him for what he has already done for you, if, you, if, you, if your love for him flows from a repentant and remorseful heart, then the Lord will see that and honor His promises. You may sit here today and wonder, then why am I having such a hard time? I love the Lord, I truly do. Why am I not blessed like so many others around me? Why am I dealing with sickness, poverty, 
Well, you are not alone. Look at what David had to go through. The man, after God's own heart, suffered much. Attacks from wild beasts. King Saul trying to kill him many times. Loss of his best friend. Loss of his firstborn son. His own children doing horrible things to each other. But all throughout, God protected him. Blessings don't always come in the form of plenty. They sometimes almost also come in the forms of need and wants. It's in those times that the Lord is teaching us far more than in times of plenty. When we, when we are at the lowest is when the Lord speaks and teaches us the most. Jonah had to be at the lowest point, at the bottom of the sea. He couldn't go any lower when he finally cried out to the Lord. At the bottom of the sea where the mountains take root. I was as far down as a body can go, and the gates slammed, were slammed and shut behind me forever. Yet you pulled me up from the grave, alive, O oh God, my God. It's in the times when we suffer the most, we feel closer to Him than ever. Consider your hard times a blessing, and see how the Lord is walking right next to you each step of the way. Attacks and hardships may not stop, but protection will always be there. What we also need to see is that blessings don't always come in physical form, like food, money, or wealth, and abundance of children. More importantly, there are many spiritual blessings we already have and still will come to enjoy. As we read even this morning in our, in our Sunday school, in Ephesians 1.3, it says, Praise be to, to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's these spiritual blessings are the benefits of a relationship with Christ. And one of those blessings he's referring to is that he chose us to be his own. Before we were even formed. In fact, even before the foundation of the world, before the earth was formed, he looked on you in favor and extended his grace to you. He saw you laden with sin and vile, yet in his great mercy he selected you to be his own, his chosen, his beloved. His child and His church. It says in Romans 9, Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of Him who calls. And also, you did not choose me, but I chose you, and I and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He might give it to you. If that is not one of, one, one of his wonderful blessings, then I don't know what is. But he did not just choose you and then leave you on your own. He also made atonement for your sins. In other words, by his death, he amends for, you, for our sins. He made you right and faultless before the holy and almighty God. All the sins, were, all the sins we carried have been paid for. And how did he do this? By becoming a sacrifice sin required. The penalty for sin deserves death. No other payment could suffice. And in His great mercy, He paid for them with His own life. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for men. No more are we burdened with guilt. We are set free through Him who bled and died and paid the price. But further, another spiritual blessing we receive, He also blesses us with the sealing of the Holy Spirit. When we become His children, when we accept Him as our Savior, He seals the deal by indwelling us with the Holy Spirit. He now lives in us. 
and guides us until we see him face to face. Again, in Ephesians 1, he says, In him you also, when you heard the, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believe in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He has given us a helper, a guide, a comforter, to live in us until we see Christ face to face. Now these spiritual blessings have been guaranteed to the ones that have accepted Christ as their Savior. They have been promised to us and placed on us by His wonderful grace and mercy. If you have accepted Christ as your Savior, if you have asked for forgiveness of your sins and have placed your trust in Christ alone, then you are part of the we that have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ. And lastly, there's one more promise David gives to his son Solomon. In verse 4, in our passage today, it says, If your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. The place on the throne would be secure and will not fall to any other nation. This is a promise of eternal kingship. And as we now know, has been fulfilled in Christ, who sits on the throne and rules the nations forever. He is the eternal King, that one day will return to gather His own and bring Him to the Father to worship Him in eternity. This promise of eternal inheritance is promised to us as well. Again, in the long list of spiritual promises in Ephesians, we read, In Him also we have obtained inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works, all things according to the counsel of His will. Our place in heaven, our inheritance, is secure. Nothing can take it from us. John 6, 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. And again in John 6, 39, This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all He has given me, I should lose nothing but you raise it up on the last day. Calvin writes in his Institutes of Christian Religion, the fact that the sureness of our election is linked to our calling greatly helps to confirm our confidence. For those whom Christ has enlightened with his knowledge and has brought into the assembly of his church are, we discover, taken under his care and guardianship. Moreover, we learn that all whom he receives have been committed to him by the Father and given into his charge, so that he might lead them to everlasting life. What more could we want? And this is the hope we have, the hope we rely on when life gets tough. When circumstances seem to overwhelm us and discourage us, we look to the hope we have in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We thank you for the hope that we have. Father, that we are not lost, that, that we are your children, and that one day we will be with you in heaven. Father, we thank you for this great promise. Father, we look forward for that day. Look forward towards that day. We praise you. Glorify your name. Jesus' name. Amen.